good morning. How are you? Hope everybody's doing well. Uh, I want to welcome those in the chapel this morning. Uh, glad you're with us. And of course, those at Pleasant View. Um, as you all know, we're having an epic event this afternoon around, uh, there's, it starts at four, goes from four to six. And uh, man, I'm telling you, uh, the illusions that are coming are phenomenal. Uh, they are known uh, nationwide. Uh, for being incredible, and they're going to come bring a message, and then Steph is going to launch something special, particularly with the kids, bluegrass music, and food, and inflatables, and uh, um, the whole Clemson team will be here. I'm just kidding about that, but I just thought I'd say, you know, anyway, this is going to be a great afternoon, so just come be a part. Um, enjoy your church family. If you don't know anybody, uh, well, come. If you don't come, then it's your fault you don't know anybody. So just come and be a part, and let's enjoy each other, enjoy the company. And uh, we're going to have the illusionist, and then Steph's going to share some vision with us, and, uh, and then we're going to show some renderings for the, for the building we're getting ready to build tonight. So I hope you'll come. Pleasant View, uh, you guys are coming as well. We've chartered a bus, so you are on your way tonight. So excited to see you guys here as well. And uh, we'll just have a great time as, as God's family. So let's have a word of prayer, and I'll share with you what God's put on my heart today. Lord, you're beautiful to us, and we count it a high honor to be uh, with your people in this place. And so, Father, I pray as we move forward this morning that you would hide me deep in your cross. I pray that whatever we have in our minds and hearts that's sort of been distracting, I pray that you would kind of allow us, even by the power of your Spirit, to remove those things out of the way. Uh, maybe we've come in an analysis mode, or maybe we're, we've come in kind of a critical mode. Maybe we're kind of just grumpy because of things that have happened this week or things that have happened this morning. But for right now, Lord, for you, would your spirit just overwhelm us? Would we just, would we just enjoy basking in your presence with one another? And um, as we go into your word here and hear about the vision you've placed on this church, uh, may we just give us a sense of, uh, of awe, a sense of appreciation for what you're doing in this place and that we get to be a part of that. I know that's a lot to ask, Lord, but we believe in you and believe that you can provide what we need. So uh, pour yourself out in your name. Amen. Well, uh, if you've missed uh, last week, I know that a lot of traveling is still taking place. I hope you'll go online and check it out, but I want to bring you up to speed. So Alive basically feels like we're at this line in the sand moment as a church. And, um, and, and what we decide today will actually impact our church uh, for generations really to come. And, and so we say it around here like there are always two deals on the table. And we have to choose which deal we're going to take. So the first deal for us is that we're going to enjoy the blessings of all that is alive. I mean, alive is a very wonderful church. We're a comfortable church. I mean, um, the children's program does great. The youth ministry and student ministries are great. The adult program is great. The subject program is great. Worship is great. And so we have this option, sort of, if you will, to kind of kick your feet up and sort of cruise our way through whatever comes next. And, and that happens to churches. That does, especially at certain ages, um, that the church will sort of kick their feet up and sort of ride off this thing into the sunset of our lives, and someday we'll turn the keys over to, to someone else. But, but there's this haunting story that we've been looking at together, and I actually ran across it in the, in the Scripture, my Scripture reading. I read through the Bible, and so I was reading in the Judges passage, and it, and it just kind of it just kind of caused, caused a jar in my heart, if you will. So uh, it was right uh, when Joshua led the people to the edge of the promised land, and they're getting ready to take over the promised land. And this is the stuff that Abraham was promised way back in, in the covenant God and Abraham were, were made together. And so they're finally getting to take the promised land, so he releases the people to go and take the promised land. Now, keep in mind what that is. I mean... We, we, we've never experienced anything like this. It's, it's basically walking to the edge of an incredible, beautiful territory and saying, here, go have, it, have at it. 
have the have here's your lot in land here's your lot of land here's where here's your lot here's where you're going to live i mean they were going to take this land that god had promised all the way back to abraham and so they did they took the land and they lived there and and i think alive can kind of relate to this in a very small way it's sort of where we are as a church it's good here it's a good land here (laughs) You know, our bills are paid, and the money comes in, and we got a great balanced budget, and, you know, we got great people around us for the most part. There's still a couple we got to weed out, but for the most part, you know, they're, they're great people here. And so we can kind of relate to that, but the verse that kind of slapped us in our collective faces was actually a verse that's just right after the story I told you in Judges uh, 2, verse 10. Look at this. Right after they take the promised land. After that whole generation had been gathered to their fathers. In other words, all of us had lived in the promised land and all the bounty of that promised land. We all had our own places. We all had our own homesteads. We had good crops or however you transfer that to our culture today. Things were good. Watch this. After that whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what He had done for Israel. And I guess it was, if you allow me, just as kind of a, the leader of, of a life to say, man, what if that's us? What if that happened here? Because we all understand it could, right? You understand it could, right? Because we all know churches, and we all know churches that struggle with this, where they had their heyday, but their heyday is in their rearview mirror, not out the front windshield. What if that's us? And then what are we going to do as far as hanging our keys over to someone else and we give the keys to our children, which I know right now is a scary thought, but I promise you someday we're going to want to do that. What if, what, if, what if that was us? And they said that about us one day. And so that immediately made us all sort of resist deal number one. Because if there's any heart beating in you, you understand, man, the idea that we would have a great day in our time, but then hand our kids off a bunch of junk, that, that's just not going to happen for us. And so at the core of who we are, see, Alive has, has been a search and rescue church. We felt God calls to that in a strong, strong way, especially within the last 15 years where God called us to that. We care about the people around us. We're concerned about the people that are facing not only a crisis eternity, but a crisis life. And in our community in Pickens County alone, we know there are 96,000 people that are facing, listen to me, there are 96,000 people that we're going to school with, that are playing on the same teams as our kids are playing on, that we're grocery shopping next to. 96,000 people that aren't just facing a crisis eternity, but they're living a crisis life. And then in our campus down in Pleasant View, 24,000 people within five miles of that campus that are facing a crisis eternity and a Christless life. Conservative estimates are around the, the world right now are there are somewhere close to 4 billion people who right now today are living a Christless life and facing a Christless eternity So the idea of sort of resting on our promised land as a church, there is nothing in me that will allow me to do that. There's nothing in me. And the reason is because of the deep, deep conviction that I think God is real. And I think Jesus is the way. And we have to, we have to share what we have found. Otherwise, we're the worst kind of people. aren't we? 
aren't we the worst kind of people if we have found something to bring us peace and hope? But we don't care if anybody else finds it. I don't want to be that guy. And I don't want to be around that community. And so we've been again asking God for deal number two. <laughs> we said deal number one is out. But deal number two now, what if, what if we could do something there? And so we've been asking for clear direction as a body. And this isn't something that happened like last week. This has been going on for about a, since December of last year. We started praying about this and what he would have us do and how we would sort of steward what he's given us. And here's where we are right now as a church. We think we've heard from God. Make no mistake in what I just said. We truly believe we have heard from God. And I've only felt this this strongly twice since being here. And the first is when we started what is now known as Alive. And this is the second time where we think God is calling our church to become a multiplying movement. A multiplying movement. Now, let me just tell you a little bit what that is. See, God, if you read Scripture, He honors movement. All the time, God honors movement. That means two things. This means two things. If we're going to become a multiplying movement, that means Alive sort of has to get involved in two kind of areas. We need to start looking at what it means to plant more campuses. And the second thing is this. What would it mean if we started being part of a church planting movement? Now, let me tell you what those two words are because we all have this baggage associated to everything. But by campus, what we mean is going to where our people are. I'm not talking about going in a neighborhood where we don't know anybody, but we have folks coming from an hour away. We have some folks from 45 minutes away. And so if you want to reach the 96,000 in your neighborhood, you say, hey, come with me to church. Great. Where is it? It's about an hour down the road. Well, people aren't going to do that, and I don't blame them. So what if we could actually provide an alive campus where you are, where you live, whether it's Easley or Powdersville, Seneca? I don't know. I really don't know. Greenville, Spartanburg, I don't know. But what if we could plant campuses there? And I'm not speaking about some kind of business model. Please, please don't do that. I just want to reach the people in your neighborhoods. That's what I want to do. And so if we have a messy all living in the same neighborhood, well, let's, do, let's put a campus there and see what it looks like. And let's see if it works. So you have somebody you can invite to that's invite somewhere that you can invite people to that's close to you. See, in the Western church... Uh, it just seems like, you know, we have to kind of make some adjustments to the way that we're doing church. Not a business model, but a reaching model. And that's why we also have to get in the church planting business. I don't know why we as a church haven't been busy planting churches. If you read the New Testament, read it along with me. You will see church planting is kind of the way of the New Testament. My mind and my heart was so challenged, as I mentioned last week, by meeting Abel Naveau. I've been communicating this week with him through email and different kinds of things and and uh he's a he's a church planter who's uh in mozambique and the dude's 39 years old he's planted 49 churches in in dominant muslim dominated areas and i thought wow here's a man who's living in an under-resourced part of the world who doesn't allow that to stop him can i confess something to you One of the things that keeps me from planting churches is resources. That sounds really good to you people because we eat the same food. But here we have this dude who's living in incredibly difficult circumstances who's been able to plant 49 churches. I'm a little challenged by that. So how many of you planted, Tom? Uh, well, let's see. And I'm challenged by that. 
And so I think we need to stop building our own little kingdoms and our own little churches in the Western church. And if God has gifted us and called people in our body to plant churches, Alive wants to be part of that obedience. We want to plant churches all over the stinking place. I don't know what that means, but that's where we want to be everywhere. We want to be in the church planting business because we believe it's New Testament business. Now, in order to become this, I don't want you to think we're going to do this and we think, okay, let's charge, take the hill. But in order to become this, I think our strategy has to move toward the issue of leadership. We want to be intentional about raising up leaders who are prepared for this. If this is a God thing, we don't just run in there and do it kind of half, 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 halfway. If we don't, just don't do that kind of thing. And so we want to be intentional about that. And so we are going to begin investing in certain strategies over the next maybe one to three years where we will actually raise up leaders as a church. And you say, Tom, what, what are those strategies? Well, there's actually, I got four main ones that, we've, that we're working on right now. And the first one's in the area of discipleship. Um, we're changing our discipleship methods completely as a body. Uh, maybe, we're, maybe they're maturing. I don't know. But our discipleship vision is to create healthy communities that produce missional, missional believers. In other words, we don't want to be discipleship where everybody just comes in and feeds ourselves spiritually and becomes spiritually obese. That's not what we're trying to do. We want to feed ourselves so we have the energy to go out and be missional in how we live our lives. And this is how we'll know kind of what we're doing, if what we're doing in the areas of discipleship is effective. We'll know whether or not we're raising up leaders. And so we're changing our small group strategy as a church, and we're, right now we're, we have one kind of group. We have study groups. Well, we're adding to that. Now we're going to have host groups. Host groups are basically going to be an on-ramp to join small groups. If you all came to a live somewhere between other than the spring and the fall, then you didn't get to join a small group because you missed the sign-up time. So like you're like six months on your own, good luck, you know, kind of thing. Well, host groups are going to allow people to sign up whenever we have enough on a list. They just go online, there's eight people, hey, they're a host group. And I told you all, I don't know the right acronym, but for me it's this, you know, do you have a house? Are you willing to open it? Can you serve a snack and you have a TV? If that's who you are, then we can start a host group with, with you. Let's do that. You say, Tom, that sounds so simple. It is. It really is. Let's just do it. Open our homes and see what happens. So we're, we're starting host groups. We're going to run year-round. We're going to have our study groups. They're 10 to 12 weeks, just like we have been doing. And then we're also, for the first time, we're launching what we're calling life groups that will meet year-round. And they will have this kind of shared leadership model. And, and the basic idea here is this. We're not trying to bust through a curriculum, but we're trying to form people we do life with. So we're trying to find people to be in God's word, with God's people, and on God's mission. If that sounds attractive to you, you should join a life group. Um, Lisa and I have been part of that in a small way for the last couple of years. And we don't get together to get through a study or whatever. We get together to encourage one another and to know how to pray for each other throughout the week until we can meet again. So that's the goal for our groups and what we're trying to do. We're also forming this 4D strategy that we're just developing right now, and it's this. Outside of the small group piece, we want to give you an opportunity to go deeper in your faith if that's something you desire. So we have the discovery class. Many of you have already been through that. I'm sorry I'm talking so fast today, but I have to get through this, and they all gave me grief because I was so long last week, and so I'm trying to be better. So if you don't catch it, watch the video. So uh, we're going to have this discovery class, and that's already going. That's where you learn whether or not you want to be a member. And then we have, they're going to add this deepen class. It's going to be a four-hour class. And the four-hour class will basically be this. It'll be where we teach you 
This is how you feed yourself spiritually. These are spiritual disciplines. This is how you can study Scripture on your own. This is what it means to pray. This is how you keep a prayer journal. This is how you honor God with your resources. We're going to teach that in this class. And then we're going to have a defined class. It's based on the biblical principle that every person in this room has been given a unique gift set and a unique talent and unique positions in life to have influence for God. We're going to discover our unique shape in this class. And then lastly, we're going to have these decide consultations where we'll sit down together with your spiritual makeup and we'll look and say, how could we invest what God has given you kind of locally in your community and and globally? What would that look like for you? And we're going to work developing that over the course of the year. Deepen, we hope to launch sometime this fall. So you can be in prayer about that. The second strategy is to raise up leaders is in the area of missions. And here's what basically is what I, what's behind this. Let me tell you, it's very complex. If we get you on a mission field, then we know we're good. The problem is to get you on a mission field is really tough because it means you've got to take a week off work and then you've got to figure out somehow how to pay money to get to a mission field. And that's, that's kind of a, a negative for some of us. And so what we're doing is we've set aside $50,000 this year in the budget. We've set aside $50,000 to help defray the cost for our people to get on mission fields with our missionary partners. You say, Tom, why, why are we spending that kind of money? Because we're trying to raise up missional leaders. And all you have to do is sit across from Abel Naveau in Mozambique and hear what he's doing with his life, and you will begin leading the charge for missional leaders on this side of the water. And so that's happening, and that's what our next step. The third step that we're looking at the strategy to build up leaders is men's ministry. Guys, I'm coming after you. I am. I am coming after you. I think it is time for us to rise up as men and lead as God has equipped us to lead. I think we have to be willing to lead our homes. I think we have to be willing to lead with integrity in our job sites and where we're, where we're working. And I think we need to be willing to lead in the church. And so I want you to begin praying about that with me. I honestly don't know the strategy yet. All I know is we're supposed to rise up, and so you can be in prayer. I'm doing some research. We'll figure out what that's going to be in the coming days. Lastly, this is just a money thing. Out of the offering we just took in here, we are setting aside a percentage every week of money, and that money will be set aside to do two things, plant campuses and, or build campuses and plant churches, and that's it. So in other words, when you come and you say, Tom, I think God has hit me in I think I'm supposed to be planting a church. Then I'll say, great, we're ready for you to go. Where do you want to plant? So that's happening right now. Are you excited? Come on, then give me an 830 clap. That's right. That's good. Pleasantview, you better be clapping. Okay, good. That's what we're going to do. Now, as we make these changes, our strategy, uh, we understand that there's a kind of a responsibility piece, that this is going to cause some growth in our church. We get that. We understand that. And that's exciting, and and we believe this is where God's leading, but we have a little bit of a problem in this, that we have some numbers problems. Um, Since moving in here four years ago, we've increased 52% in our, uh, as a church, in our attendance, and that's a that's a pretty big pressure on a church that was built to handle somewhere around 800 people. And so we've increased 50%. On Palm Sunday this year, we closed f- uh, four out of five of our classrooms um, uh, during the 10 o'clock service. On Easter, we had over 411 children. And not only that, in July of this year, in July of this year, which is like the wilderness time in church world, everybody goes on vacation, you know. Uh, man, we, I got a text. I was out of town. All of us were out of town, okay, but I got a text from Steph, and she said, hey, Tom, I just wanted you to know, we closed four out of five of our classrooms and had to turn one family away. And I think, man, that's, 
That, it's time. It's time for us to do something. Then we have the growing place, which is an incredible ministry and, and, and their maximum capacity right now with waiting lists. So we've been working hard for the past several months uh, designing a facility that prepares for this fresh vision as a church. It's a 20,000 square foot addition that will happen in our body, in our church. It'll cost somewhere around $3.5 million, they estimate. You know how it is when you start planning something. Uh, it's amazing how everybody seems to find a way to add more money to what's happening, but you're still getting the same building. Don't worry, I am fighting, believe me. But anyway, $3.5 million. And in a couple of weeks, what's going to happen is our church is going to make a three-year pledge to be part of this and how we feel God is leading us. Now, if you're here for the first time, you need to understand, or if you haven't been here for a while... This is all a call to prayer right now. You have a decision to make. Is this of God or is it not? And that's kind of the question that I've challenged the whole body with. Listen, um, since I've shared this, starting with our staff and then our LBA leadership and then lay people and every environment I'm in, I say, you just need to start praying and ask, is this vision from God? If it's not, we don't want anything to do with it. I don't want to be any part of it if it's not of God. And, and for you if, you, if you have this question and you hear all that I've said, and right now you're thinking, no, your answer is no in your heart and mind, listen to me. You'll never hear a pastor say this again. I recommend you don't participate in the Hope Grows Here campaign. If your answer is no to that, don't play. Don't give a dime to the Hope Grows Here campaign. If you don't think God is in this, if you don't think this is what God wants us to do, the other side of that is, but if you believe God has given us his plan for a life, for these days and the generations ahead, then the approach to what we follow, what follows is entirely different. So if your answer to this question is yes, please answer the question for yourself now. Just answer it. Yes. Well, if it's you, then you lean in. No. You get like a few more minutes of rest. Just relax. Drink your coffee, okay? But if it's yes, then lean in because this means our approach to it is totally different. And what I'd like to sort of talk to you about is about the spiritual nature of all of this. If you believe God's in this, then our prayers are different. Our hearts are different towards this thing. Our attitudes are different our, because, because we know God honors movement. And what happens is this. Have to gets transformed to get to. Listen to me, that's where I want us to be. I don't want you to give out of some sense of compulsion or obligation. Resentment is transformed to thanksgiving, and responsibility is transformed to opportunity, and obligation is transformed to honor. Because if God's in it, then we get to be part of something God is clearly doing in our communities. And if we sense God is preparing to do a great thing through this vision, then it is a privilege to participate in a specific area where God is moving. God honors movement. So if you were God, let me ask you this. How would you want your people to be involved in where you are working? Let me say it again. If God is in this, and if God honors movement, how would you, if you were God, enlist your people to be a part? Because here's what I know, and as you know, I'm not bright, but I do know that God owns everything. That's in the Bible, kind of. I mean, it's cattle on the side of a hill. He owns all those, you know, that kind of stuff. So God doesn't need my money. You know, he might need some of y'all's because y'all have a whole lot more than I do maybe. But he doesn't need what I have. I know, you know. I don't know. He doesn't need my money. So since you're God in this scenario, why do you even want to involve the people? If you're God, why even mess with these people? Why even talk to people about this? I mean, if you own everything, 
I mean, you created the world by speaking it into being. And since you're God, couldn't you just kind of like mutter? And that would pop up over there. No, you're right beside the church. It's kind of, you know, there it comes and it, was, it would be built. That'd be kind of cool. They'd write in paper and stuff about that. It'd be kind of neat. Or how about this? Since you're God, uh, and you don't want to maybe speak it because that would cause too much attention. What if you just sent a check in the mail? Like just for a couple million bucks. Just send it, and don't even put return address. We'll never know who. We'll just cash the check, because that's what churches do. You know, we'll just cash the check, say, oh, look, two million, put it in the bank. <laughs> That'd be kind of cool. You could do that if you were God. Or maybe, maybe what you could do, if you could just kind of get a little bit of gray for, for a little bit for you, God, maybe you could just give someone in the church some winning lottery numbers, right? I mean, maybe that would kind of work. I know that would be, would be conflict, but if you could just do that, you know, maybe some, someone would donate, or maybe someone rich and famous. Maybe you're here, and you're rich and famous, and we don't even know. And maybe you could just donate. You know, if, if you're God, maybe you could do that. And i got to tell you, as a pastor, I may dream of days like this. In fact, let's be honest. I dream of days like this. But don't those options seem kind of cheap to you? Really? Don't they seem kind of cheap to you? I mean, it'd be kind of cool if he spoke it into being. I'm not going to not deny that. That's kind of cool. That'd be kind of cool to see. But aren't they kind of a shortcut if, if you were just to do something like that? If you're God, they're, see, they're a substitute for what God's really trying to do. And here's my point. God honors movement, but here's something else I'm learning. You ready? God honors sacrifice. He does. And by sacrifice, I mean this. The willingness to give up something I love for something I love even more. Think about it. The willingness to give up something I love for something that I love even more. Hope grows here as a church is a call to sacrifice. Can I tell you, as I pray about this, I don't even pray about the money. I don't. I pray about the opportunity of sacrifice for us as a body to grow spiritually. But sacrifice is a key teacher for our spiritual growth. For God, it's not that we give. Listen, it's how we give. It's not that everybody cuts a check, but it's how we give. This isn't an invitation to redirect your tithe. It's not an invitation to redirect the money you put in the bucket on a Sunday. Don't do that. It won't help the church and it won't help you. But God is honored not by how much, but how we give. This isn't about a building. This is about my heart and about your heart. So let me show you what I mean from a letter that Paul writes. Paul writes the first Corinthians book, and it was a bestseller. It was amazing. Everybody had the love chapter. Everybody wanted like it cross-stitched on their wall. You know, it was amazing. Paul was reaping in the benefits. And then he says, hey, I'm going to write another book. So he writes 2 Corinthians. Not so good. 2 Corinthians is not so good. Didn't go so well. Uh, Paul was in some a different place. But in the middle of this book, he writes some powerful truths within this book. Here's the point. The point, <laughs> here's the point. Okay. The point is this. The one who sows sparingly, sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the one who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, uh, this, this is a simple sowing reaping principle. You don't even have to be a Christian to get this. Even if you're not a Christian, you understand this. It's basically we reap according to how much we sow. And it's true for anybody. Let me put this in Tom terms so everybody understands. If I plant four seeds of corn, then I'm going to get what four seeds of corn produces. I know I'm blowing your minds right now. I know that. And if I plant 400 seeds of corn, I'm going to get what 400 seeds of corn produces. You're welcome. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly what this principle is teaching right now. That's exactly what it is. 
And this doesn't matter what my heart is when I plant the corn. I can have a bad mood. I can be in a bad, the tractor didn't start, you know, uh, I didn't, wife burned the breakfast. I don't know, whatever gets you to be in a bad mood, I don't know. But you say, I'm going to put this seed in the ground and shove some dirt over it. It's still going to grow. Same thing if you do 400 seeds, it's still going to grow. That's what Paul is saying. But then he gives these special instructions to believers. Look at this. Each of you, Christian church in Corinth, must give as you've made up your mind. Okay, now this is the part. Not reluctantly. Does that happen in America? (laughs) Not reluctantly or under compulsion. In other words, not because you have to. For God loves what kind of giver? Where are those people? You know what this word cheerful, you know what word we get from it in the Greek? You know what it is? Hilarious. That's the Greek word, hilarious. That's the kind of giver that God loves. So when it comes to God, apparently how I give matters more than how much I give. And God is interested in our hearts toward him, not in my money. And we all understand the principle. Even if we do not believe, and this gets to that second stunning truth of the passage, God loves cheerful giving, and God is honored by sacrifice. To sacrifice for something we don't believe in or to be forced to sacrifice, that's no fun. Let me tell you this. Paying a speeding ticket, no fun. Agree? So, like, you all get, we get pulled over for speeding. We're doing 36 into 35. And you got somebody who's in a bad mood, and so they give you a ticket. Well, you don't have any choice. You can talk about it and be grumpy. You know, just remember the live church stickers on your window. But anyway, you can do whatever you want to do, and then, um, and then, but regardless, you're going to have to pay the ticket, and it leaves a bad taste in your mouth. And I understand that. I do. But if you ask me to sacrifice for my children, that's something I do joyfully. Do you follow? So, so I can go without so my children can have something or do something as a, as a parent. I love being part of that. I do. Um, when we grew up, my parents were not, uh, were not wealthy. We were not wealthy at all. Um, we were five kids all together. And so, you know, mealtime was a, <laughs> the strongest survive kind of thing, you know. And, um, and so we didn't have a whole lot of money. So when it came time to college, of course, uh, my parents couldn't pay anything for me to go to college. In fact, we were so poor. Um, we didn't have five kids. And, you know, Halloween comes around and, and you got to get costumes for five kids. Well, you're a parent. You know that's a big deal. It was especially a big deal, you know, 10 years ago when I was six. And so, you know, when all that happened, it's like, so mom, mom had this magazine. And she found this, like, a good housekeeping or something like that. And it showed how to make Halloween costumes out of paper bags. I thought it was awesome. Okay, I was probably eight years old at this time, seven or eight years old. And so mom made me this cowboy outfit out of paper bags. And it was incredible. It was absolutely, I mean, I had a hat. She like stapled and pasted and all this, you know, had a hat, you know, it was kind of cool. And then she put, gave me a vest that had a star on it, you know. I know you'd love to see a picture, but I don't know you that well. But anyway, I had a star and a thing. And then she even gave me the chaps. How hilarious. Had these chaps, you know, she made. And man, I was just such a cool cowboy, you know. And then the Halloween night, it, it rained. <laughs> and what started out as a cowboy ended up more a pile of unmentionable by the end of the night, you know, because it's just like all sagging, hanging off and all falling apart. But when I came to school, mom and dad couldn't afford to send me. So here's what I, here's what I, developed during those time, that time of college and master's work. Here, you ready? Student loans. These are not of God. <laughs> Student loans, if you're not familiar with what these are, these are something you get while you're in college and you're living high off the hog and you think it's wonderful and it's exciting because you have all the money you need to do everything you want to do. 
And then you pay them off for the next 40 years of your life, okay? Because that's, that's kind of somebody's laughing to the bank. That's kind of what student loans are. And so when it came time for our kids, okay, as our kids, we had kids. They started coming all the time. All, one went after the other. They all came. And Lisa and I just decided, if it's possible, we would love to be able to keep our kids from having to pay student loans. Okay? Now, I'm not, I know that everybody can do that, and I'm, I'm not saying everybody should. But for our home, because we had to deal with that, we said, you know, let's see if we could sacrifice to allow that to happen. So when I'm talking about sacrificing for something like that, I'm all in. I'm excited about that. Does that make sense to you? Because I'm sacrificing for something I love. And man, if I can help my kids get further ahead and not have to pay back some of that stuff, I mean, that's a blessing to me. And so we have sacrificed and continue to do that to pay for our kids to go to school. So if you don't like giving out of a sense of ought to, if you don't like giving out a sense of have to, then guess what? You're like God. He doesn't like that either. And so God lays out a principle that's frankly rather surprising and a bit jarring. He says he loves cheerful generosity. And God is honored and God is praised. God enjoys. God loves when people give cheerfully. So in a couple of weeks when we all gather in here and make our pledges to the Hope Grows Here campaign, don't come in here with a sense of dread. If that's your feeling... Stay home, watch church TV or something. You know, I, I just don't come in here with this sense of dread because I'm not going to come with a sense of dread. That doesn't honor God. Of course it's going to mean sacrifice for all of us. I don't have extra money to lay around to throw into anything. I don't. We get that, but, but sacrifice for what? And we have to ask ourselves, is a sacrifice worth it? So when we come into pledge, we come in with joyful, cheerful hearts. You ready for this? Because those crazy Christians think they get to be involved in what God is doing. If this vision's of God, then let's approach it as such. That's what I'm saying. Take that commitment card home and pray about it as a family. Seek God each night before you eat and and ask God to show your whole family how to be involved and watch the kids because the kids will lead us on this. If God is in this, I want to be part. I want to join God where he's working. Here's what I'm saying. This isn't a spreadsheet decision. This is a prayer decision. If it's of God, then take it to your prayer room. If God's in it, let's sacrifice for it. That's all I'm saying. Now, look look what happens. Because if we do that, according to this passage, look at this. You say, Tom, I don't know if I have any extra money for that kind of thing. And I I don't want to get into your personal. I understand that, too. Like I said, I don't have it laying around. I'm not stuffing my mattress with it anywhere. I wish I was, but I'm not. Look what happens, and God is able to provide you with what? Every blessing in abundance, so that by always having enough of everything, you may share abundantly in every good work. Look at this. Now, he who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food, look at this, listen to me, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing, and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for your great generosity. You should spend some time in this passage. You should think about that passage and what it means for you and your family, not just for here, but for wherever in your lives. God enriches us so that we may give even more bountifully. Everything we have, not just income, belongs to God. It's given to God, given to us by God, and it's used by God to accomplish His work. Now, where in the world did that idea of sacrifice come from? 
where in the world did this concept even begin? As a church, where in the world would the willingness to give up something I love for something I love even more come from? It must be astounding to God that we carry on the ordinary business of life, working for nice positions and respectable reputations, making ourselves more comfortable. But the one whom we claim to follow is the one who carries in his body the marks of his total sacrifice. His willingness to give all that he is and all that he has for one purpose. The redemption of his father's world. Now, did you see it? Did you see what just happened? Because what just happened is a major identity marker for everyone who believes. You ready for this? You were the object in God's sight. You were what God loved so much that he gave something else he loved up. You follow? That was you, dude, or dudette. That that was you. You were the one in God's sight. He gave us something else he loved because he loved us so much. You were the object in God's sight. And what that means is we follow a sacrificing God, therefore we can be a sacrificing people for the things of God. I got three requests for you this week. First request is the epic event. If you're going to be around this afternoon, I'd love to talk to you. Come on by. If you want to talk more about the vision, just come find me. I'd love to talk to you about it. I'll be here. Come to the epic event. Bring your family. Even if you weren't planning on it, just come on. We'll have a blast together. I just want you to be part of it. Here's the second thing. I gave you these. They're in your seats. You may be sitting on them, so you have to go searching for them, but that's where they are. Those, the, uh, I want you to take this with you, everybody. Now, hear me. It's not time to fill these out. Don't fill them out. That's not why you have them. I don't want you to fill them out yet. I just want you to, to pray with it. I want you to set it on your dining room table, and before you eat or after you eat, just as a family, say, Lord, what would you have us do? How would you have us be involved? Let God grow you in this. Take it home with you. Pray about it. Think about it. It's an incredible opportunity to be part of something great that God's doing. Not an obligation, but a cheerful giving. I mean, a sense of adventure, a sense of excitement of, Lord, what do you want to do with this? And Lisa and I keep praying about it, and God keeps raising up the numbers, so we're going to stop praying. But anyway, he's praying about this thing. He's like, Lord, how are you going to do this? How are we going to make all these things meet over the next three years? That's exactly what Lisa and I are doing. Exactly. And so we've had two meetings so far as a family. And as I said, each time the number grows. So take it home and just pray about it. You don't have to keep it. You don't have to bring it back yet. I'll give you another card later. This is just a prayer thing. Just pray about it as a family. And that's my, kind of my last thing. <laughs> um, and that's pray. I just want you to pray. Um, this week, I was able to send out a text. Uh, thanks you so much. Man, you guys really responded. I asked you last week to, to sign up for the prayer text. 
And man, they were overwhelmed. The system almost broke. So thank you so much for signing up for prayer. If you missed last week, here's what I want you to do. You can pull out your cell phone right now. I promise you're not going to go to a warm place for that. But you can pull out your cell phone, and you can just text the word HOPE to this number, 33222. That's it. And here's what that allows us to do. You'll receive a text about uh, things that you can be praying about for the HOPE grows here. But even, even in addition to that, if I'm getting ready to go into a meeting related to this, or I'm getting ready to write a message and I'm struggling... It allows me to speak directly to you and say, hey, guys, would you all just say a prayer for me right now? And so I can send out a text to you, and you can cover us in prayer. And, or I can let you know, like this week the architect was here, and he was meeting with some of our staff. I sent a text to everybody, hey, be in prayer. And you guys did. And so that's kind of what this allows you to do. So if you haven't signed up for that, sign up, send me a text. I promise you we're not going to abuse that. Um, I just want, just want you all to be praying with me. Well, that's what we're going to do. I hope that makes sense to you. Thank you so much for your patience and for... Um, your excitement, uh, your affirmation that this is God is really important in our body right now. We want you to pray about it. So let's pray right now, and we'll ask God to cover this. Lord, thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you for these incredible people. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity. And I ask right now, by your Holy Spirit's power, you would fall in the auditorium, you'd fall in the chapel, you'd fall in a pleasant view, and we would just sense that you're in this. <clears throat> And for folks that are kind of late adopters in our body, Lord, I pray they'd make the change to become early adopters. Not because they have all the answers, but maybe because they sense you're in it. Lord, my prayer isn't that we're going to build an awesome building. My prayer is that we'd be an awesome church and that you would allow us to be part of what you're doing in such a way is humbling to me. And so, Lord, move mightily, move powerfully. Guide us as your people and we'll follow. For you're a good father. And we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.